happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 193. 193, we're almost at 200 for October 7th, 2020. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Assistant Director and Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school located on the fabulous University of Montana campus right here in Missoula, Montana. And Joining me tonight, as always, good evening, Dr. Wes Fryer. Good evening, Jason. I am happy to be joining tonight, and I am the Technology Integration and Innovation Specialist at the Cassidy School here in Oklahoma City. Uh, we are looking forward to a couple days for fall break, which historically falls on UTOU weekend, and so um, tomorrow is uh, the, the end of the work week, so... That is a, a lovely, lovely thing. So have uh, have fires subsided as the COVID rages or are both <laughs> engulfing the state of Montana in flames as we speak? Uh, I do not uh, know of any active fires in Montana. And then secondarily, uh, we haven't had as much of the West Coast smoke as we thought we might when I reported last week. So the weather has been in the mid-70s, uh, will be actually for the next week or so. And I expect some real fall weather to head in our direction. Uh, October, you know, snow can come at any time. We've had had July 4th snow in the state of Montana before. So, uh, you know, it, it obviously is a very diverse weather system here in the state, but we'll start probably getting more cool weather. And I would expect we've had early freezes before, well before October, but I'll expect our first hard freeze probably in the next two or three weeks here in big sky country. I think we hit 89 today. So we uh, are having another little bloom of, of heat and then we'll probably get some cooler temperatures, but I don't think we're here to talk weather. I think the rumor is that there's some technology news. Is that a, is that an accurate rumor for this show, Doctor? I think it is. I mean, I, I, we could get some podiums up and try to recreate what's going on in Salt Lake City, Utah tonight, uh, plexiglass-based debate. But I think we'll just stick with tech issues because, frankly, it's a lot more interesting to talk about. And as usual, EdTech Situation Room is a podcast where we take tech news and kind of shoot it through the education prism and see if we can't get some insight for those in the education K through higher ed industries. Tonight, we'll be talking about broadband, big tech, media, Google, Apple, social media, the tech correction, as we talk about often on the show, the impact of COVID, artificial intelligence security, and then our favorite topic every week, miscellaneous. But Dr. Fryer, where would you like to start tonight? Well, I will admit I was watching watching these debates before I I joined, but uh yeah, if if that's the beautiful thing about being able to catch the podcast late. So, uh this is all recorded. Why don't we start with um with some tech correction articles actually. Um the first is not a current news article. It's actually a TED Talk from August of 2020, but it is uh, a fantastic exposition of the ways in which our social media companies need to respond and in all likelihood be regulated, which I know that is a scary idea to a lot of us, but this is by Yale Eisenstadt, and she was a former uh, CIA um, either an, uh, either analyst or operator, employee of the CIA. She worked for a brief bit for Facebook. The title of her TED Talk from August 2020 is Dear Facebook, This is How You Are Breaking Democracy. 
absolutely fantastic. Uh, I've mentioned that the social dilemma, which is uh, poised, and I don't know if it actually did achieve, it was poised to be the number one video on Netflix in the month of September. It would be the first documentary to ever reach that status. I think is an outstanding exposition of the multitude of issues surrounding the ways in which the technology companies, the social media companies particularly, are affecting us as individuals and as a society. This is a great um, TED Talk that really sets sets a lot of things up. And so some of the other articles I put in there today, um, one, well, one, both two are from Mozilla. So the Mozilla Foundation, that is the organization which maintains Firefox and has done a variety of other kinds of projects, has a couple <coughs> petitions that are open right now. The first one, man, if I cannot choke, <coughs> the first one is called um, Untrend Twitter. And it's saying that, you know, Twitter and specifically with trending hashtags and topics is continuing to be ripe for the for weaponization and for manipulation. And so at least until the election results in the United States are certified, they say in January of 2021, which is perhaps a bit foreboding, uh, that Twitter needs to take off its trending topics features. And then similarly, they've got another petition that's out, um, and it's, and it's to stop group recommendations. And so even though Facebook has taken, and this will be my next article, and then I'll kick it to you, Jason, uh, they have taken some pretty decisive action against QAnon, which we have talked about on this podcast and is a, what I would consider Fruit Loop sort of Looney Tune conspiracy theory that crazily enough, uh, a number of, you know, successful candidates for elective office in the United States have won primary elections who are endorsing QAnon. Um, they, uh, Facebook, and I'll dump this in. This was NBC, NBC News on, um, our August 6th. Facebook bans, bans QAnon across its platforms. And some of the other social media posts I saw, you know, we're talking thousands of, of groups, uh, that are being shut down. Uh, this is a substantial thing. Um, Mozilla is calling on Facebook to still stop recommending groups because they have, you know, com you know, been a huge factor in the growth of these uh, fringe extremist groups, uh, uh, you know, spouting conspiracy theories and, you know, promoting violence and, and really, uh, you know, continuing to pollute our information landscape with disinformation and misinformation. So I think the article from NBC News is positive. I'm glad to see Facebook taking what appears to be some genuinely aggressive action. But I think the Mozilla Foundation is on the right target, and that's kind of what's set up in that whole TED Talk, that we need to have some substantial changes to the platforms. And I think those specific suggestions of turning off trending topics on Twitter until after the election at least, and then doing away with the group recommendations could go a long way in trying to curb some of the spread of disinformation and uh, harmful messages. So your thoughts, Dr. Neifer, because I'm going to bet there may be just a few advocates of some of these groups, uh, you know, up, up, up in your country. I know that we have a few of them here in Oklahoma. Well, uh, I mean, so it's really interesting because you mentioned something early on with one of the earlier articles that it's kind of foreboding what is happening right now in regards to the notion of what happens on the elect election day or the days after. And then you mentioned going all the way until electors vote um, uh, uh, later on in, in the cycle. And I think that that is something that I is very concerning because the other article that came out today was that Facebook, which had announced last week, and I, I can't remember 
remember if we talked about this or not. Um, the uh, Facebook has banned any ads declaring victory um, on election day, and now they've taken that a step further to say that they're going to ban any ad, political ad, on Facebook on election day. To be honest, if Facebook really wanted to do us a solid here, I think they should just ban political advertising in general from this point on, right? I think that we've proven uh, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt at this point that Facebook is not acting in our best interest as regards to elections. Uh, and I have another article that's related to that that I'll talk about in a moment. But the bottom line is that we, I think we need to be very uh, cautious here as information consumers. And also, if you're politically uh, connected, right, and by connected, I mean you're into the conversations, you are a connected voter, you are thinking about acting upon information, then we need to be very diligent in not only policing mis- or disinformation, but also helping our family and friends do so as well. And I think one of the things that's been proven is that the the diversity of media sources, many of which allow folks that are against the public interest to express their views uh, seem to be weighted equally by a lot of people than traditional media sources. And I think we need to be both concerned about that and take proactive action to help combat the disinformation. And, um, you know, I, 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 we've talked about it a lot in the past. Obviously, when we started talking about the tech correction in 2016 on this podcast, we didn't even begin to understand uh, the true impact that these services and platforms are having on our democracy. I kind of laugh a little bit at the Cambridge Analytica scandal now because that seems almost delightfully innocent in comparison to what I think is happening on a lot of these social media networks. At some point, they're going to be regulated, I think. Um, I prefer it to be self-regulation and open, transparent regulation, but I don't think that that's been enough to work. So let me let me share two related articles to that. First, The Verge reported October 2nd that Amazon has been working really hard to crack down on fraudulent fraudulent reviews. And it's something we've talked about here in the past. In fact, I've shared one of my favorite tools for that, um, which is uh, the fake checker that you can install onto your Chrome browser, and it will allow you to see if Amazon reviews are sneaky looking. Um, And that's a really great, I think the, the official name of it's fake spot, and it helps you spot fake reviews. But what's happening now is that Amazon is effective enough that fake reviewers are actually just kind of pseudo-spamming Facebook with fake reviews that send you to Amazon, and it's becoming an effective strategy for putting out uh, bad information about either unreviewed or poorly reviewed products that's creating a situation for all involved. And obviously, that just highlights how um, challenging that this is, right? That we have this extraordinary amount of platform available to us, and not all of this is always going to be, um, I, I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, um, um, uh, uh, on the up and up, right? There's always going to be bad actors here that we need to be very cautious of. But that also relates then to um, um, uh, another article that was just released today. Uh, this is Recode. Uh, the Congress has released a report in regards to all of those big tech hearings they've held, and the report comes to a lot of conclusions, but the master conclusion is that 
the big tech firms, and the ones I keep referring to are the big four, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, but they are engaged in anti-competitive practices. And I'll say that there's there's a lot to come. I know this report will be dug through and analyzed to a great extent, so we can talk about that in detail later. But one of the things that I've talked about here on the past, or here on the podcast in the past, is that one of the reasons why I have chosen not to leave Facebook, right, is that I would miss my connection with friends and family there, especially in the era of COVID, especially since I don't really see uh, a lot of people on the outside uh, during this this quarantine time for me. Facebook has been a real lifeline for me, but if I go to another platform, my friends and family aren't there. I mean, there are dozens of alternative Facebook-like platforms. Wes and I have probably talked about a half dozen in the last couple of years on the show. They're interesting. They probably have safety uh, uh, in, in mind, but the bottom line is, is that unless your friends are there, who cares, right? Like that, that, that becomes part of that. So these things are all starting to kind of swirl together, but you know, no matter what the results are of the November 3rd election, no matter what the future of the pandemic is, no matter what the future of virtual schooling is, all of these things are going to come to a head at some point. And I think you're going to see big tech and also a lot of these very popular platforms, uh, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, change dramatically. I hope it's for the better. I hope it's a transparent change, but we'll have to see. I don't have this in the show because it's was it's really I mean it touches on these articles but there was a, a really great podcast I I listened to on the Ezra Klein show by uh, a gentleman who's written a book about basically you know legally reforming our our uh, political system to more of a proportional representation model and uh, you know ways ways that we can reform and I think that you know. When we moved to Oklahoma in 2006, um, AT&T was just merging with T-Mobile. Uh, that was right before the iPhone. Um, you know, we've, we've had an era of lots and lots of, of big fish eating the smaller fish at, at, you know, bigger companies. We really haven't had what in the United States has been referred to as antitrust legislation. Um, you know, and that, that was called antitrust and not anti-corporation really because of the standard oil trust. So, it is going to be pretty interesting to see what happens with the election, not only with the, the U.S. president, but also with houses of Congress. We do tend to see just a whole lot of gridlock and a whole lot of inability to do much change, even pass a budget. Um, but, you know, these kinds of changes are very much going to hinge upon uh, larger political um, you know, changes if those happen in, in who has power. Um, and, and it's going to be, I mean, these companies are so wealthy. Like the, the Silicon Valley companies are the most wealthy companies that have ever existed in the history of our planet. And, and the economic model upon which they are thriving today, you know, financially is what is causing so many of these issues. So I personally am rather pessimistic that we're going to see any kind of substantive changes quickly, but I am heartened by the way in which a number of people seem to be articulating the issues, connecting the dots. We've talked, I've mentioned that on the show before. It's one of the, the best things about getting together with Jason. Uh, in addition to seeing how the hair is growing and, you know, just the transformation folks. I mean, you, you all have heard about sightings of, you know, folks with a lot of hair in, in the mountains, <laughs> in the mountains of, uh, you know, the United States. But in all seriousness, it is, um, 
important to try to connect dots and there's all these current events and these different things happening. And I, I am, again, encouraged by the way in which some really smart people seem to be articulating things well, but I don't think that's going to lead to decisive, you know, large changes in the ways that these platforms operate and the ways, and, and really, frankly, the impacts that, that they have on society. But it's good to see some actions being taken. But as we've, I think, sort of said with some foreboding and, um, you know, I don't know what the words are, trepidation, you know, whatever, it, it's possible. And you mentioned Cambridge Analytica looking kind of cute, that the kinds of effects that will happen on our electoral process and, and on our culture as a result of these powerful tools will dwarf what appeared to happen in 2016. And... Um, you know, there's there's hang, hand wringing to be done, um, but but there's also you know educational work to be done with students and with parents and with, with you know we we all bear responsibilities as we can all we can all share. So hopefully the ideas that we're discussing here and talking about don't just stay here. These are things that we're talking with others about, and and we are finding some practical tools to you know take some steps in our own personal lives to try and figure out how you know what decisions we're going to make about these kinds of tools and then also the kinds of groups that we might support the kind of advocacy that we're going to try to uh, be a part of you know as citizens and folks that have a voice yep absolutely so and um you know uh, there's a reason why social media caught on right there's a there's a serious amount of addiction to it but uh, I think we, if we created these tools, we can also recreate these tools in a way that are productive for us as a society and not destructive. And I th guess that's what I continue to hope. Let me let me segue quickly to a miscellaneous and then take us where you'd like, because this is sure. just a, a perfect connection. And because I had to put it under miscellaneous. I don't actually know the date, which is always weird of an article because you're like, hmm, this is kind of weird. And it is a fast company article, which, as I mentioned, I was approached by them if I wanted to pay or my employer wanted to pay so that I could be an author for them. Anyway, the article is called We Are Approaching the Fastest, Deepest, Most Consequential Technological Disruption in History. It's by Tony Seba and James, I guess, Arbib is how you say uh, his last name. Yes. And... um the gist of this article is that all of these facts, the confluence, the, the, the combination of all these different factors coming together, um, where in, in sort of, you know, this is from a, the social or the social dilemma. They, they talk about how we're sort of living in utopia and dystopia at the same time. So many positives, right? I don't want to give up Facebook either. I mean, I'm connected in ways that I treasure, but at the same time, I don't want to see it, you know, completely subvert democracy and, and democratic processes in our country or elsewhere in the world. This article really makes the case that the decisions that edu that leaders are going to make about these technologies, about artificial intelligence, about the ways in which we're going to, you know, try and protect privacy rights or not, try and rein in companies or not, these are going to have a lot of consequences for the future. And it's an optimistic piece, and the authors have written a whole book about this topic, uh, but it really is to trying to put forth a policy agenda to say we need smart elected officials that are going to make some good choices, you know, now and, and in the years to come because the stakes are high. And these technologies and, we're, and we haven't ever you know, talked that much about biotechnology in terms of agriculture and things. But there's there's phenomenal advances that are happening and we really do need, uh, you know, smart 
folks that are well-informed who can make, you know, responsible, hopefully, and very positive decisions about these things so that we go in the right direction. So anyway, we have now covered the miscellaneous topic. Dr. Neifer, where shall we go next? Well, um, I wanted to mention a couple other quick items in regards to social media, just very quickly. Uh, the Verge reported on top, October 6th that um, we're not going to talk about the politics of this, but obviously the big news of the last week was that President Trump had uh, uh, been tested positive of the coronavirus. But the interesting thing about that is obviously social media exploded in the days in, in, after that. And uh, Twitter had to remind its users that they do not uh, uh, condone or accept death threats or wishes of violence on others, which I agree that's that should apply to everyone on social media all the time. And as it turns out, that's uh, uh, that stance has been somewhat uh, inconsistently enforced. And uh, four uh, freshman representatives known as the squad includes uh, uh, AOC and Eamon Omar and, uh, and, and other prominent freshman uh, House women in the House of Representatives said that they've received constant uh, uh, threats of violence, including death threats, uh, as, as part of their work. I mean, they're members of the U.S. House of Representatives and have received a constant barrage of death, th- death threats. And in fact, I see a lot on Twitter that when prominent women speak out, when prominent women uh, step out in, in, in favor of, of equal rights and, and, and really human rights, that they oftentimes are subjected to a barrage of terrible comments and death threats. And I only want to mention to say that um, while I also agree it's inappropriate to wish ill upon the president of the United States, I don't care who's in that office. The bottom line is, is that social media should not allow that against anyone. And I hope that as we talk about these tools, and I hope as you talk about these tools inside the classroom, uh, you know, threatening the president of the United States happens to be against the law, but threatening the, anyone is against our humanity. And I think we need to be very careful um, in, in how we discuss those things with our students and make the bottom line in that we can be civil, even if we disagree and, and as we're engaging with one another. So just want to make that one last uh, broad thought there. So Several Google updates have happened in the last couple of days that I want to mention. First and foremost, the big one today, TechRadar reports that Google is rebranding yet again. It started as Google Apps, then it became the Google Suite, and now it's Google Workplace. And um, a lot of people have framed this article in kind of a weird way. Uh, TechRadar talks about how the big change isn't going to happen for a couple of months for enterprise and Google education users, but eventually it'll be so like Google Workplace place for education or something along those lines. I don't really like that terminology. I think it's kind of silly, but whatever. It's just a name, right? But the other piece of it that's super interesting here is that there's clearly um, an attempt on Google to go after more enterprise folks. That's what I'm reading out of this. And it's including several new features that will be rolling out in coming months. One of them is trying to prioritize Google collaboration in things like documents, spreadsheets, and presentations while you're in Google Meets, which are the the, the technology um, platform that Google uses for video conferencing. And you know, for me, uh, collaboration has always been a big part of the Google Apps, right? Going back to 2006 and seven when they started allowing people to collaboratively uh, work on documents together, um, which is what brought me over to to their side of, of this equation in the first place. They are now looking to ways to do more live interaction with one another as people collaborate with 
one another. So I thought that was an interesting uh, a thing. And then a couple other articles I wanted to mention. Actually, let's stop there for a second. Uh, Wes, I know that you are part of a Google app school. I'm sorry, Google Suites. I'm sorry, a Google Workplace school, right? Uh, any thoughts about this as a recovering tech director or as a Google advocate in, in, in your part of the educational world? <sighs> Man, it's super interesting to see these kinds of branding things, right? Google bought Nest, and so Google Wi-Fi, you know, has become Nest Wi-Fi, which that's small compared to renaming G Suite. Um, it, it, I get, I don't know. My first thought is it just shows the the speed of change that we have in the technology environment, and we're, we've we have a Google certification group that uh, we've met three times now uh, to encourage the you know taking of the Google Certified Educator exams and, and those kind of things. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is not going to be so you know such a substantial uh, practical change for for us in the classroom. Um, you know, you, you uh, <laughs> once teachers are getting familiar with different things like that, it is interesting as you're having to to try to, you know, come up, you know, build familiarity with different kinds of terms and phrases. Um, but some of the, the things and I, you've got another article about uh, drive file stream. And I don't know, the, it's good that all these things are improving. Right. Because we want to continue to have better and better tools. Competition is good. I think the fact that Microsoft is the, a player in all this, they are not just, you know, by the side lines just being completely decimated you know 365 and and uh, teams and, and these tools that Microsoft has are I think probably large drivers of the the innovation and the ways that we see Google continuing to push all this forward so I mean I'm I haven't stopped loving the Google kool-aid um, but it is a bit weird to see some major changes in tools and what we call ourselves right because we've called ourselves you know a, a Google, um, I don't know, Giuseppe, whatever. We, we, we've used these acronyms and talked about G Suite for quite a while. So hopefully that's going to not be that big of a, of a change. And if it means that Google is going to continue to get better uh, and they're going to continue to uh, grow, uh, I mean, in the midst of talking about monopolies and the ways in which monopolistic effects are happening in the workplace, I mean, it's Google is a net positive for our school. So I don't know that that the name changes are going to have that much of an effect, but things like seeing 50 folks simultaneously in grid view, having a blurred background, which I used for the first time to, you know, today with a student that I was checking in with uh, and, and, you know, different kinds of feature updates, that stuff all sounds positive. So I'm glad to see the March of Google innovating and moving forward. It is going to be a little weird to not say G suite. But yep. we'll get we'll get used to it. Well, and I'm still calling it Google Apps, so that's that's my problem. So okay, here's another great article. This one I think is huge. Chrome Unboxed reported on October 3rd that Google uh, Google Suite ugh, Google Suite <laughs> File Stream is now available for personal Gmail accounts to sync drive with their PC or Mac. And I have to say, I think this is amazing and may actually change the way I do a little bit of computing. So for those of you that aren't aware of how the file stream works, uh, two years ago, three years ago, um, Google started messing a little bit with the native Google Drive app, which is an app you can download to your Mac or PC and access your Google Drive like you would any other drive on your PC. But the problem with that was, was that you had to sync, choose to sync or not sync or something like you basically want to download everything onto your computer so you'd have it available to you locally. And that's nice because it's fast, 
but I have 17 terabytes of Google files sitting at work because I have a lot of archives that I save um, on my work account. So it's not an option for me to sync, uh, or I'm sorry, to, to download all those to my local computer. And so what Google Stream allows you to do is just like Google Drive, it allows you to log into it using your Google account, but then it doesn't download anything. It downloads it only as you need it, or you can ask it to store it on your local machine, like if you're about ready to jump on an airplane, which is really the only time I can think of that you wouldn't generally have access to the cloud to be able to get those files. And it's been a real game changer for me. It's the first thing I download on a new PC or Mac, and to have that available in the personal account, I think is magical. And so if you've not discovered that yet, chances are you have, because if you're using Google Drive for work, uh, if you that's probably what your IT people are pushing to install on your Mac or PC, because it makes a lot of sense from a bandwidth standpoint. But man, really excellent news. And then um, a couple other hardware pieces of news. Uh, Chrome Unbox also reported that CTL has released a new version of their Chrome Box. And I own one of the last generations of these, and it is a wonderful piece of hardware. In fact, I uh, brought my home a couple of weeks ago that was sitting in my office and decided that it would do me better instead of literally gathering dust on it at work. But this is my CTL Chrome Box. I love this thing. It's my primary uh, desktop computer for work, um, and it has, uh, you know, two um, uh, monitor ports in it, and an Ethernet port, and it's got an i7 chip in it, and, and 16 gigs of RAM. It's a great, great machine that I, does anything I throw at it. The reason why I mention this is because they've got a new edition out with a fresh 10th uh, generation i7 chip and up to 64 gigs of RAM. You do not need 64 gigs of RAM to run Chrome OS, but I will tell you that Chrome OS really does sing along at 16 gigabytes of RAM. And I have to say, on my, on my home system, I've got a 4K monitor now, and I have a side monitor that's flipped over on its side that's a 1080p monitor. It can uh, push both monitors, so no slowdown with those p number of pixels out of there, and it runs it at 60 hertz. And so it is a beautiful implementation of that. So CTL, good on you. Well, and I'll say this as far as Chrome, Chrome boxes. So uh, I became our tech director at our school in... 2015, um, you know, at that time we were basically cycling tech every five years. Um, anyway, we had re we had library computers up for refresh. One of the decisions we made uh, was to stop putting Windows out of these systems because they're basically just accessing web pages that have our card catalog and you know resources for for the for the students who are doing some uh, web research and you know why have a full blown Windows system and running at that time antivirus and just all the updates and everything. And so we pulled those out, put Chrome boxes in, and it was beautiful. I think it's been a phenomenal success. Now because of COVID. We actually took our, our librarian, head librarian chose to take all those out, uh, understandably. And now all of our kids have devices. I mean, we finally uh, have the move. So every student has a device at our at our elementary, our middle and our high school. And we were a little late to that. Um, but Chromeboxes, yes, fantastic, incredible. And I will say this on the on the drive file stream issue and thinking also just about Chrome. When my wife taught for four years at uh, a school downtown called Positive Tomorrow's, 
Um, she did not have a laptop. They gave her a Windows PC in her classroom. So we bought her a Chromebook and she learned, uh, really as she was going back into the classroom after a number of years out, uh, you know, just how to work on, on Chrome. And when she came to our school, um, uh, three years ago now, um, you know, we have uh, a MacBook, a MacBook Air as, as the daily carry. But as I look at her and her computing, I think she was thriving even more in the Chrome environment. And while I think a number of folks have looked down on Chrome devices, and I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Apple people too. I love my Apple stuff, right? Uh, I love my Mac. I mean, I'm, you know, I've got Macs all over the place. Um, but it, the value of the power and the simplicity of Chrome and the security and so many different features, it, it's just phenomenal. So if you have not looked at Chromeboxes as a solution in places like your, your library, uh, if you're not experimenting with the power of next generation, current generation, you know, Chromebook devices and Chrome devices, I've mentioned this before, we're in the midst of a, a pretty big test, which, um, you know, the, the current plan was to, to, to swap iPads and Chromebooks with sixth grade and seventh grade and give teachers chances to, to do both. So we, we, we don't have a commitment right now on where we're going to be going in our middle school with our device. I mean, either way, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be better than anything that, you know, pretty much anyone has ever used at school before if, if we're getting a new device. But I definitely have just rave reviews to share, not only for, uh, you know, Google things in general, but I mean, Chrome bits, which we implemented for digital signage, which are, you know, incredibly powerful. Yep. We put those out about three years ago. Uh, and then the Chrome boxes, just, you know, lots and lots of, of great uh, power, simplicity, security, manageability, you know, all the things you really want as a tech director. And Google's not even paying me to say that. And neither is Jason. Yep. And uh, again, I'll say, um, I use a Chromebook full time, right? Um, I switch back and forth right now at home in part because of, um, uh, in support of, of our Windows users, right? That's what, the reason why I switched to Chrome in the first place was in support of our Chrome users. Well, I've got a pretty good handle on the Chrome environment now. I can do 97, 98% of what I do as a power user easily. And actually, I prefer to do it on the Chrome OS architecture because it's simplistic and it just works, which I think that phrase is usually reserved for another platform, but we'll leave that alone. Um, one more update for tonight. Uh, the it's really just for 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 uh, for me and Wes, but nine to five Google reports that Google Wi-Fi is new updated. Google Wi-Fi is out, and it's hard to tell if the hardware is updated or not. There's an extensive article from nine to five nine to five Google that talks about this. It looks like that there are two brands now. It's Google Wi-Fi and Nest Wi-Fi, and the Nest Wi-Fi is slightly more powerful hardware, but. Wes and I have recommended over and over again, in fact, we're probably both utilizing it right now, that Google Wi-Fi, you can start with one at, for 99 bucks, and then if your house is bigger and you find that there are areas of your house that are not getting the Wi-Fi access, you could buy a second, third, or fourth and create what's referred to as a mesh network, which can then uh, saturate your house with Wi-Fi signals. So Google Wi-Fi still very much supported by our friends at the Googs. I'll do one quick comment back to your Google uh, G Suite file stream. I don't know how many of us are working with teachers or others, family members, on this whole thing about local files and cloud files. And for folks who have come up in 
the world of a finder on the Mac side or the file manager on the Windows side, you know, it can make a lot more sense. Shared drives, uh, you know, old, old Windows, you know, file, you know, file sharing and things like that can make a lot more sense to work in that windowed environment than to work in the environment of just the web, you know, with, with the Chrome browser. Um, I am glad to see again, the continued, you know, uh, innovation and improvements that Google is making in, in this respect. I think it's in some ways just hard though, to, to live in, in both environments. Um, I've just come to appreciate, and a lot of this is, you know, my wife teaches third grade at our school and, you know, I end up giving her probably more tech, not probably, I give her more tech support than anybody else in my life. It is so important that we spend time with teachers uh, on basics of file management, of file organization. Yep. We are doing more in the cloud and in hybrid, virtual, flex. There's all these different, you know, words. But, man, the cloud and technology, it's just it's one of these things that I just we shouldn't assume that people connect all these dots about how these things work. And I, I really think it's important that we spend time, you know, helping with those kinds of foundational things, especially being organized, you know, with files and things like that. So hopefully the, the, the drive file stream is going to be uh, of help. And anyway, it's just it's one of those things, too, that we need to recognize people are in. And you can't see this. This isn't an augmented reality thing where you can take out your phone and look at, you know, oh, look, I can see that you're not really getting this whole thing of cloud storage and local files and downloaded files and uploaded. Um, we've got a my lesson I just finished with my fifth graders is a is a Minecraft screencasting uh, project. We had to use the Macs because we have older Chromebooks and they can't run, you know, the, the, the latest uh, Minecraft education edition. But like seeing the light bulb come on with kids finally that. Yes, the guest account deletes everything here. If it's not in the cloud, it's not saved. And anyway, these are really important foundational concepts. And, you know, they're, they're latent inside that article when we talk about things and we flip words out like, you know, Google Drive file stream and, and, uh, you know, whatever the other one was, just the, uh, backup and sync and, and, and those sorts of things. It's important to invest in helping our teachers and probably also family members understand where their stuff is saved, you know, how they access it, what the cloud means. And then I would also say on the backup front, I mean, we have more teachers now saving all their stuff in the Google cloud than ever before. That is a beautiful thing. If you are a support person, because one of the last things that you, that you want to, you know, works with somebody through is the fact that their hard drive crashed or something bad happened and think, you know, things were not backed up. And so it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be living in the cloud, but, these things that require, I think, and need uh, a substantial investment in helping helping folks understand and organize and, and utilize from a productivity standpoint these platforms. Right. And by the way, I have not lost a file. I can't remember the last time I lost a file. Right. My computer could literally just blow up right now and I'd be like, well, that sucks. And then I would log into another computer and all my stuff would be there. Right. And that you just just think about 20 years ago and, you know, how common it was for people to constantly oh. lose files. Right? Oh, my gosh. And Absolutely. that's just not a reality in 2020 yeah. if you play your cards right. And with cloud backup, and even if you, you know, having my, I'm loving my Google Photos. I have my stuff actually backed yep. up to iCloud and Google Photos. I do have a Wi-Fi question follow up for you though, Jason. I know you mentioned a while back that having different iteration or different sort of model years of the Google Wi-Fi 
might cause some issues. And I think you, I think I remember that as far as um, not having the same generation device. Do you see a reason to go ahead and upgrade at this point? I know you get a built-in smart speaker, I think, with the with these now with the Nest Wi-Fi. Right. But is there? Have you read and gotten into the technical enough to, to know? You know, will we see a, a significant worth the cost improvement in function if if we would move up from say, you know, two year two years ago's Google Wi-Fi? I suspected that that might have been an issue at, at my house. And for those that have listened on and off on the podcast, I, I for some reason I, I've had problems getting the ideal network going in my house. And one thing I've had to do, I did end up uh, putting a hardwired network in using uh, uh, IP over, uh, I'm sorry, Ethernet over over power. Oh, okay. So, um, and I have 400 down now uh, from my 400 megabits down from uh, my cable provider, and uh, I can get about 180 of those across the house over the power over, or Ethernet over power. Wi-Fi was only giving me um, about 100 down, and I suspected it should have been much higher than that because these, these Wi-Fi devices are capable of, 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 of 10 times that. I'm not entirely sure. I think there's something about the construction of my home that makes Wi-Fi challenging. But I have read that that's the case. But that said, I mean, unless you're experiencing issues, I would suspect, in fact, I just sent um, all of the older Google Wi-Fi hardware that I had that I depreciated and updated to the stuff that that is in the last three years. I just sent my older stuff to my sister who had been using the cable company's router and and Wi-Fi router, and it was terrible, and were, they were having dropped uh, Zoom sessions and stuff. And they set it up, and it's working great. They noticed an immediate difference between the previous Wi-Fi and the current Wi-Fi. And, and, and they're an education house. Uh, she's a fourth-grade teacher. Her husband's a principal, um, and her youngest daughter's still at home, and she's a junior in high school. And they were having you know concurrent Zoom meetings and needed something more rock-stable. So I would say, unless you're experiencing issues, I wouldn't upgrade right away. And plus... In six months and a year, I would imagine the $99 hardware, which I think is the price of both the Nest Wi-Fi and the Google Wi-Fi, that's going to be down to $79 or $69 on sale, and I would wait. The speakers have gone up in price. The the, the minis are no longer, I don't think, available for $30. Bucks. Um, so, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see where, where that goes. But yeah, I think that your point is great about holding off for some sales because there will be sales and yeah. you know, Black Friday and these other times when stuff always comes down, if you can hold off and wait, then you're not gonna pay, you know, today's list price. Yep, absolutely. Right. Thank you for indulging me with that question. Yes, of course. Uh, well, let's see. Um, we've got about 15 minutes left. I would like to talk about, uh, well, I mean, let's go ahead and throw um, uh, Apple a quick bone here. Uh, next week, iPhone 12 is what everyone assumes the next iPhone is going to be. They're going to announce it on Tuesday. And, um, you know, uh, the leaks have been, you know, uh, as they are, like, uh, not necessarily consistent. So there's some question about what the hardware will contain. Um, I know a lot of my uh, iPhone 11 owning friends. I've been extremely happy with the iPhone 11 because it's been a very hardy, stable platform. Um, I guess, is there anything, Wes, I know you're, you're rocking an iPhone 8 right now. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. Is there anything about an iPhone 12 that would have you running to the store on day one to purchase it? No, because I'm really going to wait for 5G, right? And so 5G uh, is not just going to be 
you know, your end user device. It's the network and its availability right. in your area and, you know, the whole build out of that. So I fit my, my strategy is, uh, pretty, you know, really happy with the function of my current phone. Um, probably going to wait for 5G, which is, you know, that's probably a few years away. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll see, but, um, no. I think I'm going to be fine to get that update. And I think with uh, the, uh, you know, iPhone 8, I mean, I'm totally within the window of continuing to get iOS updates. When you start to be left behind by the updates, I mean, that's when, when you definitely, I think, need to, to look at, at, you know, getting a new device. But we've, I don't know that it's a, we've had the word of plateau or whatever, but we've reached this point of function where, you know, the, the SE, which is I, which is Apple's, you know, base model new phone it's incredible i mean the, the function is fantastic and and i'm i'm i, I love the camera because i don't have portrait mode on my eight I, I will sometimes borrow my my daughter who i gave the 11 pro to uh you know use her phone but i mean i was shooting pictures at her volleyball game last night you know with my eight and it's freaking amazing it, it's great <laughs> so i just i think the function that we have and the speed is just so fantastic that yeah if you're if you're an aficionado and you just like gotta have the latest thing or whatever but hey i'll also say i think you're falling prey to the you know consumer trap and you're just being manipulated by apple's propaganda so right and and we assume that the high comma speed is referring to iphone 5g right that has to be what the reference is yeah the network i mean the the promise of of network speed on 5g networks um it's just stunning i mean it's like is that is that actually the right number and the right speed I'm reading? Because it sounds to me crazy that an individual is going to walk into to a, a school, for instance, with far more bandwidth than the entire campus has ever had. And who knows, you know, who knows how the the the, the, the um, fiber and uh, landline ne- you know networks are going to respond when when those kind of speeds happen. The crazy thing to think about, though, is we're having all these issues and problems with like democracy and governance and you know, the weaponization of social media, uh, this book, I, I still haven't finished, but I'm continuing to read called Like War, which I highly recommend. What is it going to look like when the network is 10 times faster, 50 times faster? I mean, it's not, that's not going to solve the issues. Uh, it's going to increase the velocity with which these things happen even more. Yep. And I would also add too, that, uh, I would just like it if the 4G LTE network worked a little more consistently, right? Mm-hmm. And your point, Wes, about the build out of the network, I don't think there's even a 5G tower in Montana yet. So yeah. I'm well, not holding my breath. Honestly, Elon Musk may bring you internet before 5G does. And, yeah. And when it does, maybe it'll be more reliable. I mean, who knows? So um, that that's the thing that when you are, when you're connecting dots and you're looking at the future and where we're going, I mean, we're, you know, short of some kind of um, apocalyptic uh, existential threat, uh, you know, ending uh, civilized connectivity as as we know it. I mean, we are just going to continue to have faster and faster connections with more and more robust devices. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's incumbent upon us to be talking about these issues and developing these skills yes. that are needed to thrive as not only an imp- information consumer, but also sharer and producer. I mean, it's, it's important. 
Yep, absolutely so. And then one other article that actually goes along with the advice I give to everyone on OS updates on phones, uh, and the article tells you that there's been a, a suspected flaw in iOS 14, the latest release of the Apple uh, mobile operating system, that if it's causing a battery drain on your phone, you might need to wipe your iPhone. And every time I say this, uh, like when I'm trying to be helpful on forums and stuff, I feel like I get booed. But if you are going through a major update on a phone or tablet, you should really wipe it and start over again. And because the cloud stores most of the stuff that's that's valuable on your phone anyways, it you're not going to be at a real loss. But chances are the opportunity to install your operating system from scratch is going to lead to much better outcomes than trying to deal with one that was kind of patched together to create the next version. And that's true on Android as much as it is on um, Apple. I would also note that I also give that same advice to Windows and, and, and Mac users. I know it's a huge pain in the butt to reinstall those operating systems and it's beyond a lot of even power users. But I, you know, w- when I'm a Windows user, which is not majority of the time, but when I am, when there, if there's a new version, I don't upgrade. I just wipe and start over again. And again, I'm a nerd, but the speed I get back, right, and for that, the fresh install, the no issues with compatibility, makes it worth it every time. And again, to, to just continue to extol the the, uh, uh, the wonders of Chrome, the speed yeah. with which you can do a complete wipe, a power wash on Chrome relative to Mac OS, iOS, or Windows, you know, there there is no comparison. So nope. that is absolutely true. Uh, let's see. I want to pick up a couple of these AI articles, and then maybe you can either do the security ones look good or the COVID impact. Awesome. Uh, this is a, another Mozilla-influenced article. Um, could you tell that I visited their Twitter uh, recently? <laughs> uh, this is a uh, report called AI and Advertising, a Consumer Perspective, and it's by Mozilla fellow Harriet Kingaby, and uh, this was released at the end of September, and th- I, this could go in a variety of different places, including the tech correction, uh, but this is a pretty extensive report, and <laughs> I am not going to be tuning in to the live webinar one because I registered for it, and it's like 4 a.m. like tomorrow or whatever. I'm, uh, I'll be you know checking out the recording of that perhaps. But this is talking about the potential harms of AI-powered advertising and then thoughts about redesigning the system. And so I, I just think it's great that Mozilla and the folks at Firefox are supporting this kind of research and these kinds of inquiries because this is the tech correction. This is the discussion about how do we adjust the the technology platforms so that they are hopefully doing a net benefit and, and not you know doing significant harm. And then the second one is a little old. Relatively speaking, it's a, a couple, a few weeks old. But this is from Vice on September 14th, and the article is: China has been doing mass surveillance on millions of citizens in the U.S., the U.K., Australia, and India. And my big takeaway from this article is: I just don't think most folks that I'm around, and who knows how that generalizes to the the population, recognize the long game that China is playing with respect to so many things to include data about you and me. And of course, the more data that AI systems get, the smarter they get. Um, but these kinds of, you know, articles, another hack, another breach. I mean, on the practical level, it goes back to what we haven't said in this show. But if you go back to past episodes, you'll hear it lots. 
change your passwords. Use the tools that are built into Chrome and into 1Password and LastPass and these other tools to identify the passwords that you have that have been breached so that everything can be unique and long. And one day, maybe you and I can be like Jason Neifer and have all of our passwords changed. He is on a very select pedestal of, of, of the few who have walked that walk and we all need to do it. I mean, there are consequences to using a password, which has been, you know, put on the dark web and most people and, don't realize it and, and, it, and it's a reality. And I'll tell you a couple weeks ago, one of my last passwords that, that needed changing was uh, my Spotify password. Turns out, uh, middle of the morning, listening to a little, I like a little Philip Glass while I'm working in the morning, Philip Glass piano solos, the, uh, um, the, uh, um, soundtrack from the hours is a wonderful album. I listen to it all the time when I'm working. It, just stopped working. I looked over and clicked. It's weird. It's, you've been logged out. And as it turns out, someone in Russia had logged into my Spotify account what? and it changed my password. And I acted quickly and changed my password to something that was, well, it's my, my new standards, 25 random characters. And then I keep it all under my password manager. Um, but, um, yeah, once those passwords are out, people use them. So I propose, Jason, that we'll include, not necessarily this week, but next week, some of our Spotify favorites and playlists because, yes, man, it is. I've never heard of Philip Glass. I'm going to, I'm going to check him out and you'll love it. This is part of the incredible world we live in, folks. I need to write this as a blog post because I'm like sorely falling on the, falling down on my resolve to blog (laughs) daily. But, uh, you know, COVID and, you know, teaching full time is kind of, kind of demanding. Um, but like, being able to have the access we do to music and this kind of thing, like you hear on a podcast, you know, Jason Neifer says Philip Glass and, oh, wow, I already have a Spotify account, so I can just tell my smart speaker, play that. That completely blows my mind, and I love that. And that's part of the utopia that AI and these technologies are, you know, bringing to us today amidst and alongside, you know, these significant downsides. But, hey, that's what happens with powerful technologies. They get used in, you know, ways that are sort of on both sides of the spectrum. Yep, absolutely so. What about either COVID-19 impacts or security? What would you have, Alex? I let me let me do the COVID one. We're pretty close to the end today and I don't need to speak much about this, but a lot of hand-wringing the last week because uh producers of the next James Bond movie, uh, No Time to Die and I'll admit I'm a bit of a James Bond fan going back to the old days and of course the best Bond was Roger Moore, but ignoring that for a second, Ooh, the, um, oh, I know, I know, uh, Con- Con- Connery's is clearly number two, but I love the cheesy <laughs> uh, a Roger Moore, James Bond, but uh, love the series, great movies, I love the books, awesome stuff, but um, it's been delayed till 2021, and, and you know, these are massive blockbusters, huge production costs, huge star power, right? Um, it's going to be pushed to next year, and the uh, U.S. and U.K. chains, Regal and Cineworld, have announced that they're just going to shut down because they there's it's like it's not worth it for them uh, to stick in the business with this blockbuster not coming out. And um, 
I, you know, I, I don't know what the list is going to look like, but a lot of businesses and industries will not survive the pandemic, right? And we probably won't know about this until, uh, comprehensively until we're able to look at this in the rear view, rear view mirror. But the bottom line was that people had stopped going to theaters, uh, uh, at the, at the rate they were going to them 20 years ago, uh, as a trend in the last 10 years, as home theaters became more popular and television, uh, uh, was seen as a viable platform for good storytelling, and now if a blockbuster not being released for a matter of months puts the economic viability of an entire industry in peril, you know that some of these industries are simply not going to survive. Yep, absolutely. All right, well. Should we geek of the week it? I guess we should. We're almost to the top of the hour. Well, actually, look, I'll, I'll throw one more in because I'm seeing Please. our live time. We started late, so it's fun. We've been on for 55 minutes. Okay, uh, awesome. One other article under Tech Correction, and if you don't follow this amazing woman, you totally need to. Her name is Joan Donovan. Uh, this is another article that she wrote on October 5th for the MIT Technology Review. It is called, Thank You for Posting Smoking's Lessons for Regulating Social Media. Again, I think this is an outstanding articulation of the issues surrounding what we call on this show the tech correction, that uh, the term that Jason uh, coined. And it's talking about how it took so long for society to recognize that, that tobacco, big tobacco, needed to be regulated. And she makes the point that it really was about helping people see the effects on other people because folks would say, oh, well, smoking and tobacco use, it's a, just a choice and it's just something that, you know, that person chooses to do. And if it hurts them, then that's no big deal. But it was the whole secondary smoke and then the advertising about that that really helped shift public opinion. And so her point in this is that in terms of seeing some broad scale, you know, public opinion changes about Facebook and, you know, surveillance capitalism and the surveillance state and the ways in which there's this interplay and these impacts, it, it really was going to need to shift to the, the broad impacts and the negative impacts on society and, you know, more than just my personal issues with internet addiction or my teens or what, whatever like that. So I think, uh, she has very prescient analysis. Again, if you don't follow her on Twitter, um, uh, just a, a great mind thinking about these kinds of things. And um, she's quoting former Facebook executives uh, who are saying, you know, they use the tobacco industry's playbook when it comes to addictive products. I don't know if some of those folks were the ones in the Social Dilemma documentary or not, but an excellent article. And I think that, um, yeah, this is part of what the work that we need to do. We need to do this work, helping ourselves put our heads around not only how these technologies work, but what their impacts and effects are. And what do we do about it, whether we're encouraging companies to self-regulate or we're going to encourage elected officials to take some stronger action? Yep, absolutely. Excellent point. All right. Geeks of the Week. Sure. I'll start. Great article from Android Police, and I have a suggestion to the masses out there. Last week we announced that Google has released a new 
Google Chromecast are now calling it a Google TV. Uh, they've not gotten rid of the casting ability, which is what Wes and I love about the Chromecast, but they added a UI to it that looks a little bit like Android TV of the past. The reason why I mention this is that if you would like one of these bad boys and you are looking to get cable for around a month, like someone like myself might be doing, I do not get cable right now. I might want to get it because there is an event in early November that I'll probably want access to live news for. You can subscribe to YouTube TV right now for one month and get a free Chromecast. That I think that's a $50 value, which I think is a really interesting way if you are going to be subscribing to TV anyways. I have subscribed to YouTube TV in the past, so I do not qualify for new subscribers only. I liked it a lot. YouTube TV was really great. It seemed like the best competitor I've seen to having actual cable. But um, if you are new to it and not subscribed before, you can get a free uh, 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 Google TV. Awesome. All right. I will overshare. So I'll go quickly. Uh, a podcast I picked up today, uh, one of my favorites, it used to be called war college. It's now called angry planet. Their latest episode uh, from October 1st is called proud boys, the boogaloo and everything in between. I mean, if you heard the president say the word proud boys and you're like, what is that? Uh, this is just a great podcast that connects a lot of dots about a lot of stuff going on with some, you know, right wing, um, primarily uh, fringe uh, groups. And so Jason Wilson, who has done work for uh, The Guardian, as well as, um, it's going to slip my mind. Um, anyway, uh, journalist is the one who, who's interviewed there. Uh, second one, this is pretty interesting. So I'm a Spanish teacher this semester, right? And, and all signs point that Wes may not be, you know, continuing the language teaching after the semester, but who knows? That's what the school, that's how the school chose to deploy my, my skills, uh, you know, in the pandemic. And I'm having fun. I get to hide in my room. It's great. Um, so as a result, I have become aware of more language resources. And so the Classical Association of New England has a quote, virtually unprepared workshop series, which is absolutely fantastic. And uh, these are not just things that are of interest to language teachers. They, uh, some of them are, but, uh, you know, remote teaching, you know, some, some great strategies. So I'll include in the podcast show notes, not only the uh, playlist of YouTube videos for the recordings, but also a link to their website where you can register for their continuing series, which goes through the month of October. And the final one I have is a lesson series, two-part lesson series that I just did with my sixth graders called Launch Wikipedia. And I have utilized uh, John Green's great video from his Crash Course series on navigating digital information. It's the fifth video in the series, and it's called Using Wikipedia. Um, and then also <clears throat> today and, and yesterday's lessons, uh, it was called Just Add Wikipedia. And so if you don't follow uh, Mike Caulfield, who is Holden on Twitter, shout out to uh, Dave Quinn, Edgy Quinn, who uh, hooked me up with this. Um, college-level, fantastic web literacy resources that uh, Mike has put together. Um, he has a whole series, and I have it linked in the additional resources, um, called uh, Check, Please, a starter course that you can take. Um, but I used his video for Just Add Wikipedia, and, and it's a little different when you do it on the iPad. But when you're checking a source, fantastic to just add the word Wikipedia if you're on a laptop right behind the uh, web URL and the omnibar of Chrome. And you should immediately go to a Wikipedia page where you can read about that source. If you're on an iPad, you actually have to put it before the link. But either way, just a, a, a great strategy and a real practical web strategy that we've been learning in sixth grade media literacy. Great. Thanks, Wes. 
Well, where can people find you on the Twitter? I'm sorry, not the Twitters, the internets. Well, the Twitters would be W Fryer, my blog, speedofcreativity.org, and my uh, media literacy as well as Spanish lesson sharing website, mdtech.cassidy.org. How about you, Dr. Knife? I am a tech savvy teacher on Twitter, and I also help out at the Northwest Council for Computer Education blog.ncc.org. But this here is our once-a-week podcast. This is the EdTech Situation Room. We are here on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Central Time, somewhere in the middle of the night if you happen to be in Western Europe in UTC land. If you can't join us live, although please do, we love, love, love live viewers and and, and happy to take your comments uh, at any time during the broadcast. You can find us at our web t- website, edtechsr.com, on our YouTube channel. We're on Facebook. You can also download tiny, tiny, tiny MP3 files from our website, or you can find us wherever finer podcasts are aggregated. Also, you can see every link at our website, edtechsr.com slash links, and we oftentimes have articles well beyond the hour of conversation we have per week. If you can't join us live, you can always join us later via the download, but we hope to see you next time live on the Tech Situation Room. Stay safe, stay savvy. Good night. Adios.